Good morning, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. My name is Sam Huff, and I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and I'm so thankful that you have joined us as we're going to dive into God's Word together today. In just a few moments, we're going to have a bonus teaching to our uh, series where we just finished talking about God Talks Family. And this morning, we're going to talk about how he talks imperfect families. And it's going to be a great day. I want to encourage you to do all those things that we always do with, with a social media that we follow. I want to encourage you to make sure you're liking, subscribing, make sure you're commenting, sharing, leaving thumbs ups, all that kind of stuff. Uh, make sure that you're hitting sub notifications bells. Uh, also want to encourage you, if these messages have been a blessing to you and your family, and you think they'll maybe be a blessing to someone else, I really want to encourage you, be sure to send it. You can send it as a private message, send a link, say check this out. Uh, however you want to share it, I want to encourage you to please share these messages. Well, I want to pray with you as we pray and we ask God to speak to us about our imperfect families. Uh, most of us know that our families are imperfect and we need God to reach into our lives uh, to bring about his goodness, to bring about with by his power uh, strength into our families. And so let's go to him and pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you and we thank you that you touch our lives, that you come into our lives and that you help us even though we are imperfect people from imperfect families. We know that you are the perfect God who comes into our life and to who who makes us new, who brings change in, in, in positive ways, and who brings goodness into brokenness. And God, we just thank you for what you do and, and what you can do in our lives and in our families. And so, God, we invite you into our imperfect family. And we thank you that you invite us into your perfect one. And God, I pray that you will work on our hearts today, that you will open our minds today, that you will speak in a special way to each of us today as we think about imperfect families. It's in Jesus' name we all prayed and said together, amen. Well, let's dive into this message where we're going to talk about imperfect families. And I don't know about you, but I think I would be safe to say that I have an imperfect family. My extended family is an imperfect family. My Even sometimes my immediate family can be an imperfect family. Now, we began this series, uh, God Talks Family. And in the beginning, I talked about broken, God talks uh, uh, broken families or, or, or good families in a broken world. And we talked about how we all have brokenness in our lives, brokenness in our families. And when it comes to my personal family, I would have to say that I have a, I have a, an imperfect family, a broken family. I have a, a family with all kinds of things going on in my family. Now, when it comes to my family, I would say my family is an incredibly diverse family. Now, that diversity doesn't make it imperfect or broken. There are some of the diverse things about my family that are kind of neat. They're kind of cool. Uh, now, the the Huffs, my family. We're 
we're a very economically diverse family. Some of the Huffs and some of my aunts and uncles are, 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 are economically poor and some are economically rich and some are economically in the middle class. Some of the Huffs in my family were racially diverse. Uh, my family is made up of people who are white, who are black, who are Puerto Rican and Hispanic. And, and my family is filled with people who are Jewish and Gentile, English and German and Irish and, 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 and all kinds of different, uh, different nationalities to where our family began. My family is truly a... Uh, uh, it's truly a mixed bag when it comes to the racial diversity. And and uh, when it comes to my family, we are religiously diverse. There are Christians and atheists. There are uh, people who don't care about religion one way or another and people who worship themselves. I mean, there are people of, of all kinds of religious diversity. But when it, what makes a, a family imperfect is when you talk about the, the goodness and the badness diversity within the family. I mean, in, in our family, there have been very good people and very bad people. We've had uh, politicians and preachers and persecutors and inmates in my family. Uh, I've had uh, people in my family who were crooked cops and people in my family who were prison guards at, at big national prisons. Uh, I've had people in my family who were guests in those prisons and people in my family who've been through ugly divorces and people who were abusers and abused and people who were cheaters and cheated on and people who were homosexuals and lesbians and drug abusers and drug dealers and drug addicts and alcoholics and, and suicide and all kinds of crime. I mean, we've been a very imperfect family, the things that the Huffs have brought into the world. The history of my family includes very great men, and the history of my family includes not so great men and women. I mean, I mean, the family is imperfect. Well, the house I grew up in, it was also an imperfect household. It was a place where there were people who were sinful, who had sinful, uh, sinful habits and, and sinful ideas and, and tempers and, and all kinds of things that you might say were imperfect in a family. And, and the people in my family all have issues with each other and have had issues with each other. Some are talking, some aren't talking, uh, some get along, some don't get along, some aren't being nice, and someone sometimes wrongs some. Somebody. And, and I would basically say that my family today is an imperfect, imperfect family. Now, when it comes to my own home today, I might even have to say that my family is imperfect. Uh, there are times where mom and dad are weird and strange, and maybe they get angry, or maybe they get frustrated too easy, maybe they're too hard on the kids, or or maybe they're not hard enough on the kids, whichever one you choose at the, at the moment. And, and grandma and grandpa might be weird, and, and I wonder if my kids are ever going to say to their kids, boy, let me tell you, 
you how ridiculous my dad was. You know, let me tell you how ridiculous my my mom could be. And and I'm sure they'll have their stories that they tell their kids where they will say we grew up in an imperfect household. And and the reason is is because we're all imperfect people. And I'm wondering about you. Would you say you grew up in a perfect family? Would you say that your family experience was a perfect family experience or an imperfect family experience? I'm guessing if you're like me that you've had an imperfect family experience. And and here's the thing. I wanted this bonus message to this series, God Talks Family, to be a message where we look at the idea that God is a perfect God who understands and who knows your imperfect family, and he wants to bring his perfect son into the lives of your imperfect people in your imperfect family, and he wants to bring about his perfection. Wow, there was a whole lot of imperfect and perfect there. Let me simplify that. God uses an imperfect family in this world to bring about a perfect salvation for you, uh, people who are in an imperfect family and, and you're imperfect people like me. Uh, one, one family tree uh, it doesn't look, I can't think of any one family tree that might look like a straight family tree. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, if if I look at my family tree, it doesn't look like a tall cedar or a straight, tall, long fir tree that, that they might make straight lumber and straight timber out of. No, my, my, my family tree, it looks more twisted up. It looks like it's all gnarled and has branches going off in every direction. It it looks more like a twisted up juniper tree, you know, not not a nice straight fir. Uh, but all of us could probably say that's true for us in our families. I recently came across a story that one preacher told where he learned about how his family was imperfect. Well, when his great-grandfather passed away, uh, he had some questions about his great-grandfather. He had the chance to listen as people talked about how they loved great-grandpa, how they loved the family. They began to talk about how the family moved from uh, Tennessee to Oklahoma, or sorry, Kentucky to Oklahoma. This family had moved and they transferred, and uh, and this pastor wanted to know why did grandpa and his family move to Oklahoma? Well, grandma was telling him the story and he couldn't believe what he had heard. The reason they moved to Oklahoma was because they were on the run from the authorities. You see, back in Kentucky, great grandpa and his family, he had five, <coughs> he had, there were five brothers and they were a little wild and they lived kind of wild. They had a moonshining outfit. Uh, they were uh, they were making alcohol and distilling it and selling it out of Kentucky. And one day someone came and stole some moonshine and they threatened this fella, said, if you ever do it again, we're going to we're going to kill you. Well, he did do it again and they did kill him. And so they packed up everything. They fled Kentucky to Oklahoma, restarted, relocated and started a brand new life. And this preacher said, I decided to stop asking questions because I didn't want to know any more about the family tree. I didn't want to know how gnarled the family tree was. Now, if you 
are anything like me and anything like most people, we all would say, you know what? My family tree is imperfect. And you've probably realized that. You've probably discovered that as we've gone through these messages where we've talked about how God talks family. I've tried really hard to make this series not be a plastic, uh, here's what God says about the perfect family, and uh, you're not it, and so you need to start being the perfect family. I've tried to real hard to make this family series a family series where God gets real with us about our families. So we talked about a good family in a broken world. And as we did, there were probably times that you thought, man, my family is broken. We live in an imperfect world. And sometimes the imperfect world actually affects my family. And sometimes the imperfect world actually comes in to my family. And and we talked about what does it mean to be a good family in a broken world? And then we moved on and we talked about how God talks kids and grandkids as we try to live out the the life God wants us to live as we try to be a family that God wants us to be how do we try to help our kids and our grandkids navigate with faith in, through a broken world and so we talked about what are some of the things we can do I mean as we did you probably found that man there are some times where I'm not doing what God wants me to do when it comes to my kids and grandkids maybe I'm failing with my kids and grandkids I'm not doing enough with my kids and grandkids or maybe Maybe I'm, I'm setting a bad example for them. And whatever it was, you probably found that as we talked about kids and grandkids, that you have done an imperfect job and your family has been an imperfect family uh, when it comes to kids and grandkids. And then we talked about marriage. And we talked about how what God says about marriage, how to have a, a a better marriage. We talked about what God says about how to serve him and walk with him and 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 to be married. And, and we talked about imperfect marriages. And we talked about what are some things that maybe we needed to do when we realized that we have an imperfect marriage. And, and it maybe as we did, you thought, well, that's me. I have this imperfect marriage. I have this marriage in, 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 in crisis. I have this marriage in a bad place. And, or maybe you thought, well, my marriage is actually going okay, but uh, there are still things I need to improve. And, and you found you have a, an imperfect marriage. Well, then we went and talked about a, a good woman. And, and we talked about the 10 top qualities of a good woman from Proverbs chapter 31. And, and what you probably thought is, is as you went through that, that Man, how can anybody live up to the to the character of this good woman it describes in the book of Proverbs? And maybe you remember that one thing we said, this is sort of a little bonus on the bonus. One thing that we said in that passage is maybe he wasn't talking about a human at all, but he was he was personifying wisdom and he was describing to us the way wisdom is like the best of women, the the most amazing woman you could invite into your life. But, but we did talk about a good woman and you found
around. Maybe I'm an imperfect woman. Maybe I have flaws. Maybe I, I have things I should be improving on or the women in my life are imperfect. Well, join the club because all of us are imperfect. And then we talked about bad dads. And I had one woman come up to me and, uh, in that message and say, you know, that sermon was about 60 years too late. <laughs> and she was referring to her husband uh, long ago saying basically that he was every one of the descriptions of a bad dad that we mentioned in that message. And wow, uh, talk about imperfect, you know, and maybe you realize that there are times where as a dad, you've been imperfect or as a husband, you've been imperfect and you've been a bad dad at times. And, uh, and then we talked about faithful fathers and the difference between a bad dad and a faithful father all came down to one important word, the word repentance. Because a bad dad never repents, but a faithful father, even though he's imperfect, he repents. He apologizes. He says he's sorry. He, he tries to repent and turn back to God and ask God for help doing this thing he's never done before called parenting and being a dad and being a father and, and, and asking for help from a perfect heavenly father. Well, as we've gone through this entire series, you've probably found, like I've found, that that we are imperfect people who have imperfect families. And we're all imperfect people in these imperfect families. And I want you to hear something from me. That God understands your imperfect family. That God knows your imperfect family. Partly because he came into the world through an imperfect family. Sometimes people are tempted to say, well, God can't understand me. He can't understand my family. He doesn't know what it's like to be in a family so messed up with such a gnarled juniper tree looking family tree. I, I don't know how God could ever get me or get my family. And, and I just want you to hear that he does. He understands you. He understands your family. He comes by way personally of an imperfect family through an imperfect family to bring his perfection into our world so that he can bring his perfection into your imperfect life. You know, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, it begins in chapter 1 with a genealogy. It's not really the way you usually would think, I'm going to begin a book by listing a family tree. Well, the the New Testament does. Matthew chapter 1 is a genealogy, and, and in this genealogy is just a multitude of stories. Every name in this genealogy contains stories behind it, stories that go with it, and most of those stories are stories about imperfect people who are in the family tree of Jesus. God still uses these imperfect people. He, he comes through these imperfect people. He puts his story together through these imperfect people, which, by the way, for me is evidence. I, I say this all the time, but, but the way that the Bible is brutally honest about its people, about the heroes of the stories, about, about the events that happen, uh, it's not always necessarily God putting a stamp of approval on what was done, but it's God saying, here's the truth about what was done, and here's how I read 
redeemed the situation and here's how I redeemed the people in the story and here's how amazingly sovereign I am that I can bring imperfect people and imperfect families together in such a way that I can bring about my perfect purpose. And that's how sovereign, how amazingly sovereign God is. And I think that's what's happening here in, in Matthew chapter 1 is God is sharing with us this genealogy to tell us about how, who he brings Jesus through, how he brings Jesus to us, and, and this imperfect family that he brings him through. I mean, you read the story, it mentions men like Abraham, Solomon, and David, and yet even they were bit uh, by by sin. Even they were a bit withered and twisted as branches on the family tree. Abraham was imperfect. He lied and he had a, a string of lies that went with fear and deceit in his life. And, and David was, uh, we know he, he was a murderer and he cheated and committed adultery. And Solomon was so addicted to women and full of lust that he couldn't see beyond it in order to follow his own wisdom when it came to uh, those things. But even more scandalous, in the midst of the story and all the names and all the brands branches of Jesus' family tree that are listed in Matthew chapter 1, we find something unexpected, something that seems e even more imperfect. This great family tree from which sprang the Savior of humanity, uh, in it we discovered there appears to be some very withered and very gnarled branches. The name of four women appears. Now, just because they're women doesn't mean that that these are things that make the story imperfect. This was supposed to really stand out to us in the Jewish days uh, there, when they would list a genealogy. It was very rare to list the women or the mothers or the grandmothers in the family tree. Usually it was the men and the grandfathers that were listed. And so there's four women who are named. And, and what makes their name scandalous isn't so much that they're women. It's in that who they are and 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 what they represent in the 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 genealogy. You, like I said, usually men only got uh, got mentioned, but rarer is the character of these women that's mentioned. Uh, what can these women possibly share in common with the Savior of the world, with the perfect God who's going to come and sacrifice himself for the sins of mankind. What is it about these four women that they get special mention? Well, let's really quickly take a look at the names of these four women that show up in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. One of the women that uh, we meet in Matthew chapter 1 verse 3 is a woman named Tamar. She was the daughter-in-law of a man named Judah who was a very important man, one of Jacob's sons, very important in the Old Testament and Old Testament history. And and she married one of his sons. Well, one of his sons, that the, the son that she married, ended up dying before she could have a child, before she could uh, carry on her family tree. Well, the way that God had set things up so that uh, the a woman in that situation would be cared for and would carry on a family tree was that 
her his brother, the surviving brother, was supposed to marry her, supposed to give her a child, so that she could, uh, so that she could have her family in the future. Well, he refused to give her a child. He refused to do what he was called to do. So he died, and and now this woman named Tamar, twice now, has not have had a child and didn't know what was going to happen. Well, he had a third brother who refused to carry out uh, his responsibility in this in this situation. And so Tamar, it looked like she was just going to have her family tree cut off right then and there. But God intended for this woman's family tree to be the family tree of Jesus who was coming. And, uh, and, 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 and we don't know how God would have done it had Tamar not taken things into her own hands, but she does. And what she does is she decides that by golly, she's going to have a child. So she dresses up like a prostitute and, and ends up having her father-in-law hire her without realizing who she was. He laid with her. She ended up having a pregnancy from what they did that night. When it was found that she was pregnant, he got really upset and was going to have her put to death until he realized that this child was his, that she had deceived him, acted as if she was a prostitute, and, and that this baby was going to be his. And, and we, we look at this story and there's a whole lot of ew when it comes to this story and this name just sitting there in the family tree of Jesus and we realize that that his family tree was imperfect too that his family tree in some ways sounds like a story from desperate housewives it's a woman who loses two husbands and tricks her father-in-law into having giving her a child while she acts like a prostitute and uh, and again the bible's brutally honest about what people did and how people acted and, and what was going on. Well, well, that's it's amazing that this name is here in this family tree. But again, it's because God is saying to you and he's saying to me, I understand uh, broken families. I understand imperfect families and I still want to bring about my perfect purpose and my perfect salvation into your imperfect life. Well, we keep reading on through the uh, th through the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and you'll find this name Rahab. Rahab, she wasn't just a woman who was, uh, who was pretending to be a prostitute. She actually was a prostitute. And not only was she a prostitute, but she was a Canaanite woman. And the Canaanite women were enemies of God's people. They fought with the people of Israel every step of the way into the promised land. And her fascinating story is found in Joshua chapter 2. Uh, she was a, a Gentile. She was hated by the, uh, she was a hated Canaanite, and she was a prostitute. She lived in this city called the city of Jericho, and you may remember the story of the city of Jericho. It had these impressive walls, and the people had to march around it, and God made the walls crumble. Well, before that happened, uh, the people of Israel sent spies in, and, and these spies ended up staying with Rahab the the prostitute and hiding there. She hid them. She lied to the authorities when they asked if they were there. She helped them sneak out of the walls at night so that they could return and give their report. And, and, and basically as a reward for her serving the people of Israel against her own people, the Israelites spared her life when they destroyed Jericho. And as a result, she gave birth to this man who would be named B 
Boaz, and she would carry on the line of Jesus. She would end up being in his family tree. And we look at that, and we realize that there's a prostitute, a, a Gentile woman, and at times a very skilled liar and deceiver who was in the story of Jesus' family tree. Well, next you find another woman, and her name is Ruth. Now, Ruth, unlike the other women that we talk about in this story, Ruth is actually a very good woman. But Ruth is a woman who has some strikes against her as well. Even though she's a very good woman, she's a woman that shouldn't have been in the family tree of Jesus. Now, now Ruth was a, a, a woman who was who was married, she was a Moabite woman who was married to an Israelite man. Uh, there was this family who left Jerusalem, who left Israel because of famine and went into the land of Moab. And, and their two sons married uh, two women who were Moabite women. And their two sons' names, <laughs> I always have to laugh, uh, are the equivalent of sickness and disease or sickness and death. And, 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 and like their name, they actually got sick and died. Well, uh, Ruth ended up showing incredible uh, character, incredible commitment to her mother-in-law, incredible love for her mother-in-law. And the story of Ruth is the story of this Moabite woman who adopts the faith of her mother-in-law and who shows strong faith and faithfulness to her. It's an amazing story, but we we watch this story and we see that later Ruth will marry uh, this man named Boaz, who we met his mom just a moment ago. And, and she would meet Boaz and marry Boaz and and she would have a child who would end up becoming uh, a boy named Obed who would end up being the great grand or the grandfather of King David and so she would become an ancestor of Jesus and again we have this gnarled family tree and, and then we have the woman Bathsheba who gets mentioned in the family tree. Now, you might remember the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, the story of, uh, uh, well, of, of this woman who walked out onto the roof to take a bath and she was seen by King David up in his up in his uh, castle you know and, and and he was at home while his armies were out fighting he was at home for some reason and that may be part of the problem as it began but uh, he, he sees Bathsheba he calls her to his uh, to his castle to his home he calls her to his bedchamber and they commit adultery well, she becomes pregnant, and to cover up the pregnancy, David calls Uriah, the, her, her husband, to come back from the battlefield to spend time with his wife, but Uriah refuses to do that out of loyalty to his king and loyalty to his, uh, his, his companions who are at war. And so, instead of, uh, instead of covering it up that way, David sends Uriah off to battle, gives commands to his army, to pull back from Uriah so that he would die. And David essentially becomes a murderer in this story. Not only a cheater, but a murderer. And, and, and Bathsheba becomes a part of this story too. And how much uh, Bathsheba could have chose to disobey the
the king without, uh, without, you know, how much was her fault? I guess we could debate and argue about that. But, uh, but what we could say is Bathsheba was also an adulteress and Bathsheba was at least party to her husband's murder and cover up and scandal. And again, uh, this woman, they would lose that son, but she would end up having another son who would be named Solomon, who would end up being in the family tree of Jesus. Well, I go through those stories, and we could go through all the stories in the genealogy and share with you the imperfections behind the names in those stories. But when it comes to your family tree, again, it could be tempting to say, God God won't get me. God won't get what our family's like. God, God wouldn't understand. Uh, you don't know how imperfect families can be, God. Well, he does, and, and he comes by way of an imperfect family. Even his immediate family. We look at the story of his immediate family. He was raised by two young parents, very young parents, teenage parents. He was raised by them. And, and, and many think that by the time Jesus was 12, that his father passed away. His father certainly uh, disappears from the story after an encounter when he was 12. And so many think that Jesus was raised in a single parent home by a single mom. And, and he was raised in that family and, and they were poor. They weren't wealthy. They were, they lived very poor. And, and we look at this and we could say that even Jesus' own family had its sense of hardship and trouble and trial and, and, and they were imperfect. Well, one of the reasons I think Jesus came through this imperfect family with an imperfect family tree was so that he could have something in common with us. Not because they have something in common with him, but so that he could have something in common with us. So that he could say to us, I relate to you, I get you, I understand you, and I have come for you to draw you to me. I have come for you so that I can help you when you live in a sinful family, so that I can help you know that, that even in your imperfect family, you can be included with a savior that that even in a, a place where you're powerless to do anything about your imperfect family i have power to do something about your imperfection you see one of the reasons we have imperfect families is because we all have imperfect family members and even we are imperfect in our families we bring our own level of imperfection we we bring our own level of sin and brokenness into our families each one of us do yet we are invited every one of us into the perfect family of God the perfect family of Jesus where we become God's children and co-heirs with Christ uh, uh, we're invited to step out of our imperfect families and become a part of his perfect heavenly family we we know what it's like to be forsaken we know what it's like to be fearful we know what it's like to be fallen we know what it's like to be foreign and and Jesus says even though you know all those things I want you to be with me in my in my perfect family now he came through an imperfect family but he offers us a new 
perfect one. He offers us a way to know a perfect one. He offers us a way to the perfect arms of a perfect father, uh, to, to be embraced by a perfect savior, to be embraced through a perfect love. And I want to I want to encourage you to know this, that Jesus comes into our world as God's only begotten son. He goes to a cross and he does it so that, well, he does it so that people like you and me, imperfect people, can know that he dies for us and invites us to his perfect family. Now, some of us this morning, I want to I want to encourage you to realize that you are imperfect in your family. Uh, so often what happens in an imperfect family is, is, is the people in that family will act like they're the only perfect ones. They will act like they have it all together. They will act like they know everything. And, and they will, they will uh, point fingers and they will discourage and they will maybe aggressively yell. Maybe they will uh, knock others down and really press in to their imperfection. But maybe, maybe at times we need to realize that that we're imperfect. And in realizing that we're imperfect and that we need Jesus' perfection, realizing that we're imperfect and we need Jesus' mercy and Jesus' grace, maybe that will remind us to embrace the imperfect people in our family and to leave them a little room for grace. Maybe realizing my imperfection and my need for a Savior will help me Leave room for your imperfection and your need for a Savior. Maybe it will help me to forgive you. Maybe it will help me to show you grace. Maybe it will help me to love you. Because that's exactly what Jesus does for me. He forgives me and loves me and shows me grace. And then he reaches out to people in imperfect families or, or dysfunctional families. When it comes to the word dysfunctional, we use it a lot today to describe a a family where there's a lot of hurts, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of brokenness. From a Christian perspective, a dysfunctional family is a home that it isn't functioning the way God intended for it to. It's a home where maybe there's a been divorce, maybe there's a lack of communication, maybe there's an unhealthy rivalry somewhere in the family, maybe someone is self-consumed to a degree that there's neglect, or maybe there's an addiction, maybe there's child abuse, or sexual abuse or, or, or there's spousal abuse or there's affairs and the list could go on and on of the things that can make a dysfunctional family. And when we use the word imperfect family, I mean really what we're saying is that most of us come from a dysfunctional family. And what I want you to realize this morning is this, that we may pick and choose families and label them as dysfunctional, but in God's eyes all of us are dysfunctional because none of our families are functioning the way that God wants them or intends for them to function. In other words, none of us have perfect families, but God still wants to reach into your dysfunctional family and bring his grace. He still wants to reach into your dysfunctional life and redeem it and bring his perfection. And, and you know, it's important for us to realize, though, that 
that that there are times where the dysfunction isn't our fault. There are times where these things are happening and, and we may end up just being a, a bystander to it. We may end up uh, being a victim of it. We may end up being in a family where that dysfunction is happening and, and it's not our fault. But other times we may end up being in a dysfunctional family because we bring the dysfunction. And there will be times and places where, yeah, uh, God, God wants to bring his, his mercy and his grace and his perfect salvation and forgiveness into your imperfect life. But there's also a sense to where God says to us, hey, you want a better family life? You want a better life? Uh, then start putting aside your old life, who you once were before I came in and gave you grace, and start taking a hold of a new life. And he, he in several places, will say, here's some ways to start living, and here's some ways to stop living, and in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul will share with the church some ways that they ought to start putting off some old ways and taking a hold of some new ways. In verses 3 to 10, it says this, But now you must rid yourselves of such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on a new self which is being renewed in the image of its creator. And he basically lists here some ways that and some things that we can easily take off to help the dysfunction uh, go away, uh, to help at least some of it to go away. You know, imagine a family, imagine your family. If people were getting angry less, if there was less rage happening in the household when there was disagreement or or frustration a place where there was no malice where there wasn't this deep-seated bitterness towards other people in the family imagine a family where where you were slandering one another less where no one's slandering you or you're not slandering others i i like to say it this way where where, where the people in your family know that their name is safe on your lips there's no slander. Can you imagine a, a family where filthy language just wasn't a part of your everyday speaking? Imagine a family where everyone tells one another the truth and they don't lie to each other and they take off their old self and their old practices. And, and imagine how your family could change if just those things were things that, that started to change. And so Paul says, Paul says, take those old things off. That, that was who your old self was. And God's trying to make you into a new person, into the image of the creator. And the creator doesn't do those things. That's not how he looks and so let's start acting like our our creator our savior our our maker let's rid ourselves of those things and maybe for you there's a next step in that verse in that you might have to go back to your family and say you know what i've been angry i've been too easily angered and too quick to get angry 
forgive me. You know what? I've been using filthy language too much, and and I'm going to start making a change there. Forgive me. You know, I've lied. Will you forgive me? I've been selfish. Will you forgive me? And with God's help, I, I want to be renewed into the image of my Creator. Well, then the Apostle Paul will talk, uh, continue to talk on the, on the same line, starting in verse 12. He will say this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with, and he's going to give a list of things that you will clothe yourself with. So in the last verses, he said, take something off. And in these verses, he's going to say, put this on. And as I read these things, imagine how your family, your imperfect family might improve, starting with you, if you started to put this on at home. Clothe yourself with compassion with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you might have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This perfect God came through an imperfect family to bring you perfect forgiveness, and so maybe you ought to bear with one another in your home and forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and to be thankful. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I realize we are living in an imperfect family, there can be a lack of peace in the family. When there's anger and malice and slander and all these things going on in the family, uh, there's no peace. Everybody's unsettled. Everybody's uneasy. It's, it's difficult. Sometimes maybe you don't want to go home and walk in the door because there's more, uh, there's more anxiety and more stress in your home than there is at work, uh, and, and you don't want to go home. Well, what if things changed? to the way that there was peace in your home. And Paul just simply right here gives you the strategy. He says, remove that old stuff, put on this new stuff. And when you do that, the peace of Christ will be there. The peace of Christ will rule in your heart. And, and starting with you, it could begin ruling in your home too. And so maybe for you, there's, there's another next step. And, and I want to encourage you. I know it said to do a whole bunch of things in that verse, but I just want to highlight verse 13, where he says, bear with one another. And maybe your next step is to say, you know what, I'm going to memorize Colossians 3.13. I'll read it one more time. It says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And maybe, maybe just learning to bear with your spouse and forgive them. Maybe God wants you to bear with your imperfect kids and to, to forgive them. To bear with your imperfect parents or brothers or sisters or maybe that weird uncle. To bear with them and forgive as the Lord forgave you. To let peace and the peace of Christ rule in your heart. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it says this, As prisoners for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This, this perfect Jesus who comes through imperfect families calls us to, 
to become a part of his perfect heavenly family. And he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And sometimes that bond of peace looks like bearing with one another's faults and, and looking past one another's faults. And, and the truth is, our family can be an easy place to see one another's faults. Uh, you know, it, it's it's easy to go to a a concert or to watch a movie and and to see just a a moment or a glimpse of someone's life and to think of that person as as a hero or that person as a as an example it's easy to watch someone and to see a, a small snippet of their life where maybe they did something good or whatever and to think boy that person that that's a real example but you know what? If you lived with that person, if you saw that person every day, saw their ins, saw their outs, you would have a different perspective probably because you will start to see their faults because it's easy to see faults in a family. It's easy to see your faults as you live day in and day out with one another. You 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 see one another make mistakes. You see one another sin. You, you see one another have moments of selfishness, of anger, of, of frustration, of, of all kinds of things it's so easy to see one another's faults and what we're almost being told to do here in this passage is to learn to look past one another's faults occasionally to bear with one another's faults and to show compassion and love and kindness and forgiveness that Jesus shares with us one study was done where researchers researched married couples who considered themselves to be happy in marriage for many years, which is a rare thing to find today. And what they found was that the happiest and the most successful marriages were the ones where each spouse had a higher view of the other person than they did of themselves. They concluded that the most important quality in a successful marriage was the ability to see good in their spouse. And you can almost tell when someone's unhappy in their marriage or going to be unhappy in their marriage because they run their spouse down. They talk down to their spouse. They talk bad about their spouse. Uh, they they have a low view of their spouse. And, and how different is it when someone has a high view of their spouse and, and thinks highly of their spouse? And one man, Oscar Wilde, wrote that marriage is the triumph of imagination over intelligence. There is a sense to where you decide you're going to focus on the positive. You're going to see the positive over the negative. And, and maybe at this point is a point where you can learn to overlook one another's faults a, a little bit easier. And over time, as you're married, you become familiar with one another. You learn the truth of every person as you live with them like that. And every human being is this complex mix of positive and negative traits. And when you're married, you have a choice about which which traits you're going to focus on. And, and by the way, typically the ones you focus on are the ones that will rise to the top. And so focus on the good. One philosopher said that the way you see people and the way you treat them, uh, the way you, I need to start that over. The way you see people is the way that you will treat them. And the way that you treat them is what they will become. 
and and so often that's true if you see somebody in a certain way you treat them in a certain way and then they become that certain thing and husbands what that means is you can actually shape your spouse's behavior by looking for what's best in her and find beauty in her even when she doesn't see it herself and and wives you can do the same for your husbands and i remember one time hearing a hearing a pastor talk about how it's important to always look at your wife as if she is the most beautiful queen on the planet and, and to treat her as the most beautiful queen on the planet. And if you treat her as that, you will see her as that and she will begin to see herself as that. And, and in your home and in your heart and in your life, that's who she will be. And if you treat your daughters uh, as that way, if you treat your, your sons in a way that that lifts them up and builds them up uh, that's what they will become but if you if you just constantly berate them and and drive them into the ground and tell them they're no good and you just continually do that then then they'll probably become what you see them as uh, well want to encourage you to learn to bear with one another and not just bear with one another but maybe Maybe be willing to look past some imperfections in order to see the good in one another. Learn to bear with one another's sins. I came across a story about a father who got really upset over some spilt milk. Uh, this, one, this one young man tells about a time where several years ago he was living at home and his young nephew was spending a few days with, with him and his parents and they all sat down to this nice meal and when they were there uh, sitting down to this nice meal the, the young John spilled milk all over the table made a big mess and while he made that big mess the father was just glaring at him staring at him making comments about him telling him how worthless he was what a what an idiot to make such a mess and and getting all upset over the spilt milk and and uh, and man just really made this young man feel small well the next meal they're eating and iced tea was spilled all over the table when the iced tea was spilled this young man jumped up out of his chair threw his hands up in the air and he said i didn't do it and he didn't because the culprit was the father he had spilt his iced tea and when mother got up to wipe the table down she just said hmm gotta be careful when you fuss about spilt milk <laughs> and that's true spilt milk is going to happen life is going to get messy family can get messy and sometimes we realize we're in these imperfect families called to love them called to to show the love of christ in them and we're reminded that jesus came through an imperfect family as a perfect savior to bring his perfection into our lives and into our families and part of what he wants to do is he wants to make each one of you in the family new. He wants to take your old self and give you a new self. Uh, your old self, which looks, you know, like the world and, and the imperfection of the world. And he wants to give you a new self that's being transformed into the likeness of your creator who is perfect and who's inviting you to a, a perfect family. He wants to 
remake your imperfect family with his perfection. And not only that, but in the process, he wants to teach you to bear with one another. To bear with one another with compassion and mercy and grace, which, by the way, are some of the first descriptions of God when he describes who he is. He wants you to apply some of what he applies to you and me. He applies his grace, his love, his compassion to my life, and he wants to apply it to your life, and he wants you to apply it to the people around you. He wants to make your imperfect family new, and in the process, he wants you to bear with one another. Because we all have these imperfect families, and if we're going to learn to walk with Christ, if we're going to learn to take a hold the the person of Christ in our world and in our lives and in our churches, it all has to start with us applying Jesus at home to our imperfect families. As we show our family that Jesus really does make a difference in us. Even though I'm imperfect, I'm repentant. Even though I'm imperfect and need of grace, I'm going to try my best to show grace to the people around me. Well, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for your imperfect family. And I want to pray that God will bless you and your family and help everyone in your family come to a place where they can know the grace of Jesus in their life so that they can show the grace of Jesus in their life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for our imperfect families. I thank you that you love me, an imperfect person, that you draw me and you want to renew me and you want to make a new me. And I pray, God, for our imperfect families that you will bring your grace, your love, your strength, and your peace into our homes to make a difference in our homes, to bring our homes to a place where they know the perfect salvation of a perfect God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, Amen. Well, I want to say thank you for joining me for that bonus teaching as we uh, talked about God Talks Imperfect Families. Uh, next week, we are going to begin a brand new teaching series where we're going to talk about dealing and confronting the fool in me. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about how to be wise versus foolish, uh, and, and we're going to focus on the fools. And I, I came across one teaching where somebody taught through some of this stuff. They said how to have a hard life and, uh, and, and to be foolish like this. Well, we're going to talk about how not to have a hard life. We want to confront the fool in each of us, and so we're going to talk about wisdom and foolishness, and that's going to be a great series, so be sure to join us next week as we begin uh, confronting the fool in me. And that's going to be good. So uh, I do want to encourage you just to say thank you to those of you who've been a part of Vernonia Church, been a part of this ministry. Thank you for those of you who've been supporting this ministry financially. You've been a blessing to this ministry. You've been a blessing to the people around you who've, uh, who've been impacted and blessed and encouraged and challenged by this ministry. So I want to say a big shout out, a big thank you to those who you who are supporting it financially. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of Vernonia Church, uh, 
ministry, the, the work that we're doing. If you'd like to be a part of, of supporting what we're doing, you can do that at any time. You can go online to www.vernonia.church and you can hit the Give tab there on our website. Be sure while you're there to catch up on some old messages or to listen to a message you may not have heard or maybe re-listen to one that that you think you could you need to re-listen to or learn from again. But you can go there and you can give. Hit that gift tab. You can set up giving in any way, shape, or form. And I'm just going to end that there by saying thank you to those of you who are giving. Your giving is making a difference. I'd like to invite you to pray with me for the ministry and the work of Vernonia Church. Uh, let's pray together that God will bless what we're doing. Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you for Vernonia Church. We thank you that you have helped us grow in Christ through this church. We thank you that you have taught us your word through this church. We thank you that you have been working in this place to transform families and lives. And God, I do want to pray that you will help Vernonia Church and our ministry here to always keep keep in mind the goal and the purpose that you have for the church, which is to seek and save lost people. I pray, Father, that you will help us to never lose sight of the ministry you've given us, that we want to share your word with people who need to come to know you and your forgiveness and your salvation, that we need to be sharing it, that we need to be helping people come to know Christ. And God, I thank you that you are using work like this, this online teaching, to help people come to know the saving grace of Jesus. And I pray that you will continue to use us to reach new people for Christ, to guide them and, and lead them to the foot of the cross, to know your forgiveness and your grace so that their life, their family tree can be transformed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. I would like to encourage you, if you've been with us through this series and and maybe you've been considering whether or not you're going to make a first-time decision to believe in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been kind of just exploring or you weren't sure what to do and you want to become a part of the family of God, his perfect family, his perfect heavenly family. You want to have this perfect savior forgive your imperfect life and to bring his, his healing and his mercy and his compassion into your life. Well, I want to encourage you, maybe today is the day you make a first time decision to do that. Uh, and, and if you are making a first-time decision to believe in Jesus, let us know. We'd love to help you know what your next steps are after doing something like that. Or maybe you're here and you've been joining us through these, uh, these messages and you made a first-time decision at one time, but you, you have repenting to do. You need to give Jesus your heart again. And, and you need to let him know that, that he is the Lord of your life. And, and I want to encourage you, if, if you need to restart with him, to restart bringing uh, him and his word into your life and your family, then use today as a day to do that. Just declare to him, Jesus, you are the Lord, and I'm giving my, my heart and my life to you. Or maybe you're here and you've made a first-time decision. You've decided to repent and turn your heart to God, but you haven't yet followed it up with baptism. And you need to get baptized. Uh, you just haven't done it yet. You know the scriptures teach you to do it, uh, to put a, away an old life, to take a hold of a new life in this 
in this picture, uh, this this physical picture of spiritually what Jesus does for us, uh, this physical sp- picture of a death, a burial, and a resurrection, and 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 you have you just haven't been baptized yet. I want to encourage you. Maybe that's your next step, and you need to let us know that you want to get baptized because we would love to help you take that next step in your in your faith journey. And so, oh, whatever it is, I want to help you make your choices and your next steps towards the perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if I can do that in any way, please let us know. There's a there's a link below you can click that will open up a connection card that we use to let one another know that we're here. Use that. And there's spots there. Click boxes of next steps that you want to take today. And we will help you take those next steps. I'd love to help you do that. And so let me just pray one more time. I want to pray for you who, are, who maybe need to make some decisions and take some next steps. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray for those who need to say yes to you. For those who haven't yet decided to make first-time decisions, maybe they're here today and and they need to make a first-time decision to believe in you. I, I pray, Father, I pray alongside of them that you would forgive us for the sins that we have in our life. Forgive us for, for our imperfections and forgive us for our failures and our faults. We believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins and so we give our sins to you in faith. And God, I just pray that you will help us make that first-time decision to believe in you, to, to receive the gift that you want to give to us. And God, I know that there are some who are joining us here online who, who they one time made a decision to walk with you, but they're in a place right now where they need to repent. God, I pray for repentance. I pray again for confession and forgiveness. You told us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and will forgive us of all of our sins. And so, God, we come before you and we ask you to bring renewal, a restart, a reminder of your lordship. And God, there are some who have next steps of repentance, next steps of baptism. And I pray, Father, that you will help uh, help there to be follow through with faith through baptism. I pray that you will help some of those who need to make that step, that you would draw them, that you would bring conviction into their hearts, that you will help them just step over the fence and to say, I'm all in with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Well, thanks for sticking with me through all that. Let's go ahead and stand and and, and let's declare it's been a great day. You know, every Sunday I like to declare it's been a great day, partly because we're just declaring, God, it's been good to be in your presence, to be in your word and to be with you as our teacher. And so on the count of three, one, two, three, it's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and I'm so glad I was with you today. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Thank you.